Hi, welcome to the special edition of K-Pop. I'm Jonathan Capehart. Over the last few weeks, you know we've talked with a lot of members of President Obama's administration. So in honor of Inauguration Day, I thought it would be a good idea to revisit their best advice on how to protect the Obama legacy and how to maintain the progress made. Four people, four different perspectives, one conclusion. And you can hear it all right now. First up is Attorney General Loretta Lynch on how you can be a voice on civil rights. One of the things that I think people are fearful of is that when you go away come January 20th, 2017, that that leadership that's been there at the Justice Department with that will go the care and concern for all the people who have come to look at the Justice Department as the backstop for their rights. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that because um, I do care very deeply about these issues. They're very important to me personally. They're very important to me professionally. Um, having been the beneficiary of a lot of people who worked very hard to make sure that I had the right to go to school, to have the education that I was able to have, um, and to advance as I did. Um, it's very meaningful to me to carry on this work. But what I'll say is, you know, leaders come from all different ranks. Leaders come from everywhere. And at a time when people, you know, for whatever reason may not think they have a voice within a particular place in government, that's when we see people emerging uh, from the groups themselves to bring their voices to government to be heard. That we've seen that, you know, at generation after generation, uh, when people have felt that even if they had leaders who were responsive, maybe they didn't quite understand the issues. Maybe they didn't understand the importance of it. You know, one of the things that I always found so interesting when you, when you look back at the civil rights movement was how many times leaders acknowledged the importance of the issues but told the movement to wait, whether mm-hmm. it was literally emancipation. People were told, let's do gradual emancipation, like literally, let's emancipate half of you now and half of you in 20 years. I mean, that was what happened from people who were ostensibly sympathetic uh, to the cause to people who didn't know if the Emancipation Proclamation was coming at the right time to people who told King and Abernathy and all of those leaders that they needed to wait and that people, the country would catch up to them. So even when you have leaders there that you feel are sympathetic to you, you may not always get the timing that you want. And that's why this is a partnership. It's not just me at the Department of Justice expressing these views. They're the career people who will stay there and will carry on these cases. It's also not just the Department of Justice. It's people who bring these cases to us, who bring these issues to us, who say, you have to take us seriously. And those are the voices that I'm counting on to emerge. I can't speak to what priorities the next administration may set. Um, and, and all I can say is, is, that, is that there are no guarantees in life except that we have to work for what we want uh, and we have to be committed and we have to keep our voices raised to make sure that people who are in power know that these are important issues, that these are issues uh, where the law does compel a certain result, in my opinion, uh, and should be used in a certain way. So we may not have one particular voice or a few other voices, but there are other voices out there who can raise that cry and who can call for that work to continue to be done. 
That was just Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Now let's hear from senior advisor to the president, Valerie Jarrett, on why you should stay engaged. As a result of this election, what would you say to Americans who are truly frightened by the people who will be working in this building after you, um, just given the campaign that was run? The campaign's over, and uh, elections have consequences. And it is our job now, uh, as the president has made clear to his team, to do everything we can to provide for a smooth transition. Uh, President Bush did that in really a professional and amazing way when we were coming in. I remember thinking, well, they probably won't want to talk to us because we ran a really tough campaign and obviously campaigned against a lot of his policies. And they welcomed us with open arms and were extremely constructive and helpful. And the president said, that's the strength of our democracy. And so that's our job now. And it's not to be a Monday morning quarterback on individual selections that the president-elect might make or, or anticipate what he might do in the future. Uh, I think we've got to give him room to see what he does. And so, uh, sure, would I have wanted a different outcome for the election? Absolutely. But the election's over, and now our job is to make uh, everything as easy as possible for he and his team as they come in. And look, we've learned a lot in eight years. And We'll share it, uh, just as the Bush folks did with us, and then it's up to them to decide what they want to do. I think that the American people, it's important that they not become disillusioned, but that they stay engaged with their government. As I said to you, Jonathan, at the outset, we are better because the American people have engaged with us. We were, our tenure here was far stronger and more impactful in a positive way because people saw it as their responsibility to engage with their government. And I encourage people to continue to do that. So that was just the woman affectionately known as VJ. Now let's go to someone else who has an office in the West Wing, and that's Broderick Johnson, White House Cabinet Secretary and head of the My Brother's Keeper Task Force on why you should keep believing. Is there a concern that once the first African-American president once he leaves, that all of the energy and passion and focus that came through him and into MBK will leave this building on January 20th, 2017, along with him? Well, I think because he will be leaving this building and will be leaving this building and people who've been leading this effort and the agencies will be leaving, clearly the energy will, in a sense, move but this was always anticipated, right? We knew there wasn't gonna be a third term, right? So the president was always clear, he wanted to make sure that we built MBK from the federal government, but using the local government authorities, engaging public and private sector in ways so this would live on. Uh, regulations have the force and effect of law, right? It's, uh, and it takes either a reversal as it would if Congress were to look at a law, as it presumably it will, it's, you know, and does, and repeals a law, that takes an effort. In the same way regulations do as well. So it's not like the next administration can come in and say, okay, we'll repeal that regulation. There's a whole process that will have to be involved. And this is where it will be important for so many communities and stakeholders that we've gotten engaged around MBK-related issues to step up and to engage with the Department of Education if there's an effort to repeal that. But it's not like they can just come in and say, that's that. 
right? So people have an opportunity procedurally to fight those kinds of changes. I am concerned because people will have to engage, but I'm hopeful because of what I've seen across the country. Because MBK is not just like a convening of a group of people. They have built infrastructures in these communities, out of mayor's offices, nonprofits. I think, and I'm very, very hopeful that that will be sustained because it is a movement. I mean, people have taken their existing programs and they have now made them MBK uh, labeled, which means that they really believe that there's something else going on here that is largely driven by how much they believe the president will continue to do this work as he has said he will. Finally, let's hear from Derek Cholet, former Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Affairs from 2012 to 2015, who reminds us that we've been through challenges before. Well, you know, how about we talk about the person who is his exact opposite? Yeah. President-elect Donald Trump could not be more different than President Obama right. on every level. Right. What does it say to the world that the United States elected a man who runs completely counter to the person they've been dealing with for eight years, a man who has run on basically withdrawing America from the world. Yeah. Well, it's been deeply distressing. Many of us in the United States, uh, I think many around the world are still in a wait and see mode. And because Donald Trump has shown himself to be relatively flexible sometimes on his policy perspective, you know, one of the things Trump said a few weeks ago was after a conversation with Jim Mattis as well, hey, maybe torture doesn't work, right? Because someone as tough as Jim Mattis is saying he'd rather have a pack of cigarettes and a beer with mm -hmm. someone than torture him mm -hmm. um, in terms of getting information out of him. So I think a lot of allies are in a wait-and-see mode, but they are very distressed. And there's a question, I think, that, that we'll have to confront as a country is, does the goodwill and the kind of the so-called soft power benefit that we have gained as a country because of the Obama presidency is that going to go away? The only thing I can I can say with with any degree of confidence is that we are entering a period of greater uncertainty and probably instability when it comes to our foreign policy decision making, which is going to make it harder for us to tackle some of the toughest problems out there because we're going to be wrapped up around the axle of our own kind of internal crisis. It's been a while since we've lived through this, but we have. I mean, we've been through it before. I mean, Watergate was a reminder to many, many Americans that. The Constitution was fragile, and we had a president who was testing the limits of that. There are some who may argue—I'm not one of them—but some who may argue the impeachment period for President Clinton mm. was a test of the Constitution. I mean, That's we, true. you know, we sort of airbrushed that out of our historical memories. But there was a trial of a president on the floor of the United States Senate, and unfortunately, the president-elect said some things uh, in the course of the campaign that are not easy or particularly good for children to hear. I, mean, I think it's a reality a lot of parents uh, out there have been dealing with. But, you know, I try to remind him that we are we are a great country. We're a country that did elect Barack Obama twice. Uh, we're a country that either somewhere between 2.5 or 3 million more of us voted for Hillary Clinton than, than Donald Trump. You know, we live in a city, Washington, that although it's got its share of challenges, over the 20 years I've lived here has become a better place. It's been become a more prosperous place. It's become a more tolerant place, a more, even more diverse place. So, you know, the kind of I try to take a step back and remind my son or my friends who aren't in the business like we are in terms of living and breathing politics and policy that, you know, we've been through these challenges before. 
in different ways. Uh, you know, as I said, late 1960s, early 1970s were not calm, tranquil days, right? And we've, we've come out the better. So the overarching advice to everyone from these Obama administration officials is stay engaged. And with that, I want to thank you for listening to Cape Up. Remember, you can find us on iTunes and please rate and review us. And if you really enjoy listening to us, pass us along to a friend like your favorite cashmere sweater. In the meantime, I'll see you next Tuesday here on Cape Up. <laughs>